podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Where's this being played? Mordor. This week, Pierce Morgan interviewed Cristiano Ronaldo, a self-centered narcissist who has an overinflated ego, probably because he isn't as relevant as he once was. Interviewed Cristiano Ronaldo. I'm Andy Baxter, and this is Pint of Football, the nation's drunkest football podcast. And with me tonight, a man who's always threatening to storm out, it's Daz Napton. And it's just the two of us tonight. Where's Tom? I mean, I heard a rumor he was uh, he'd flown over to the jungle to try and get Matt Hancock out. I think he's on his way, but mm. the rumour I heard, he went over to the Baltic Cup semi-finals. That's, that's more like him. Yeah, and the, I'm just having a look now on the on the old Google Matron, and it looks like the semi-finals have been and gone. We were very excited last week for the kickoff of the big international tournament. And I'm glad to say that we had Latvia and Estonia, we had Lithuania and Iceland. In both matches, there was a red card. Oh, in both matches, it went to penalties. Oh, okay. And in the final, which is unconfirmed when and where it'll be, we've got Latvia versus Iceland to look forward to. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think they're the two we thought were going to be the yeah. hot favourites. I mean, Iceland are the the team that surely will win it. They're not usually in the Baltic Cup. I think they might have been invited probably because they didn't qualify for the World Cup. Yeah, could have been it. Get yourself over there for the final if you can. <laughs> we don't know where it is, but it's or somewhere when. It's somewhere in the Baltics. Somewhere in the Baltics. It can't be that big, can it? Um, yeah. And it's at some point. Exactly. And it'll be much better than the other international tournament that's going to be kicking off in the near future. Agreed. So anyway, yeah. Daz, what, yeah. Yeah, what are we up to tonight? The well, what, what what do you call it after like you've had a big celebratory episode, the big 50th in the mix episode? This is number 51. What do you call it? Back, back to normal? Yeah, I suppose so. Back to the sort of daily grind almost. <laughs> we don't yeah. do this daily, thank God. Yeah, this is the equivalent of Monday morning going to work, this this, this 51st episode. We've had our big weekend <laughs> talking about the Solomon Islands last week. Yeah, it's like, I know your job has you working over Christmas, but it very feels like the week the week between Christmas and New Year, doesn't it? That kind of episode. Yeah. I mean, you know, you've, we've had our big sort of moments and then... We've opened our Christmas presents and we've used all the best ones up. And now we're looking through the worst presents, which one of them I hold in my hand, which is Football's Strangest Stories by Andrew Ward. <laughs> but you may as well open it up and have a look. So I'm going to do that right now. Well, that's and... it. Presumably you've got a handful of, well, you haven't got chocolate, but you've got a handful of snacks of some sort, maybe a beer on the go. Yeah, it's lovely. Yeah, exactly. So without further ado, let's let's get this thing kicked off. And we're going to Worcester. It's January. It's 1959, almost into the 60s. Oh, yes. Where some good football's on its way. Giant Killing Glory. Okay, yeah. As yeah. titles go, it gives you a bit of a clue, but it doesn't give away it all up front. Here we go, then. 
a director of a fourth division club once arrived at the stadium on the afternoon of a home tie against attractive first division opposition. He's really setting the scene. You can picture it. You're there with your keys in hand, opening the gate, licking your lips at the thought of this attractive first division opponent. He surveyed the icebergs and roots at one end of the pitch and the mud and straw at the other and gave his opinion about the obvious postponement. Where's this being played? Mordor? <laughs> Weird. And the director said, bearing in mind it was obviously quite a big cup tie by the sounds of it, and he said, get the referee to play it. Bit sinister. Or else... And then he looked at the secretary and said, we can beat them on this. With the icebergs here? Ah, uh, the beauty of the British weather in January. Here we go. It's time for a... Warning, weather <laughs> warning! <laughs> He's ticking them off. We should have got a bingo card at the start with all of the possible weathers. I don't think we've had icebergs yet. No, we can't have done, can we? Nice. Where was this one again? Sorry, I missed the very first. Worcester. Yeah, there's no icebergs in Worcester, is there? <laughs> No book about strange matches would be complete without at least one giant killing act where a small club produces an odd result against a big club. Is anyone going to buy this book who doesn't know what a giant killing is? Yeah, that's a good point. Who's that for? I guess it's if you're reading it to your nan. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> well, yeah. Not all giant killing, however, is strange. Shoe on in the word strange in a lot here. <laughs> Some teams like Peterborough United and Swindon Town in the 1960s were so good at it that people turned up expecting an upset. Some had such a good giant killing years that they almost went the distance. Where we think of the likes of Port Vale in 1954. <laughs> a year on, we had York City in 1955. Norwich City in 1959 and Palace in 1976. I'm sure they were the first ones you thought of backs. Has he just put them in and not offered any context at all? No. The, the one thing that I do <laughs> as, a, as, a, as a hardcore reader of this book, I am going to go back though to the York City 1955 one. Mm. It's got to be worth noting that it, that was just three years after Dick Duckworth left. Yeah, I'd forgotten what year that was, but yeah, so, when they when they played against Stockport, yeah, that was good. Yeah, so after Duckworth left, York went on a massive cup run just three years later with that young squad that he ditched. Mm -hmm. What could have been, I guess. Um, but all of those teams apparently made the semi final. That's which... that's a good good effort, really, for lower league teams, no matter what sort of era and. Yeah, well, fourth division, Tournament. so yeah, fourth tier, basically. So, yeah, who who was that now? League two? League two, yeah. And Flipping that down. was, there was two years on the trot, Vale and York City made it to the semi-final. That's crazy, because, I mean, it's a big deal now if one of them gets to the third round and gets potentially a, a top-flight yeah. team, doesn't it? So, it's um, yeah, that, that's awesome. Yeah, fan of that. Certain top clubs create a reputation for being vulnerable in these situations. Uh, here we go. Yeah. Newcastle United may have won three post-World War FA Cup finals, but they have also lost home games to a galaxy of lower division teams. 
I love that phrase. Galaxy. Okay. A galaxy of lower division of l- teams. Of lower division teams, yeah. That's what I imagine a groundhopper's heaven is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just a bus that takes you between... A spaceship, probably. Yeah. Um, so Newcastle have lost to Bradford Park Avenue, Rotherham, Scunthorpe, Peterborough, Bedford Town, Carlisle United, Hereford United, Wrexham, Chester, and Exeter City. Will Hereford have been that famous one? I don't know what year that was. I can't have been that early. It must have been way later than that. I'm not sure about that, but it's it's one of those, I guess, where you can imagine every time the cup draw is made, Newcastle fans were probably hoping for like Man U or Arsenal. Mm. <laughs> well, yeah, these days, if Newcastle got drawn against a, a lower league team, that would be the, the TV game, wouldn't it? Because everyone would be expecting... You know them to be sort of susceptible to this, but yeah, yeah, and e- even in the year where they did get to the final, Newcastle started their cup run in 1974 by drawing one-one at home to Hendon. Rubbish, it is isn't it? They must have just had a manager that didn't take it seriously in the cup, mustn't they? The resi's out. Yeah, yeah. yeah I remember when um, was it Arsene Wenger started that off that tradition of just resting the whole team and playing the youth team in the cup. Could have been, yeah. I feel like it was. He definitely was one of the sort of prominent figures because I remember he was like the first manager who would give like players a start who were like number 39 and you were like, whoa. You like didn't realise the numbers went up that high. Yeah, exactly. Who's this guy, yeah? Yeah, Jeremy Aliadier. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Nice to hear his name on the pod. Yeah, yeah. If you're listening... Yeah, get in touch, yeah. please. Get in touch, Jeremy. <laughs> I wonder what he's up to now. I'm going to quickly look now. Okay. I really so, <laughs> if you are not Jeremy Aliadier, but would still like to get in touch, you can email us at pintsoffootball2015 at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at POF underscore reviews. And that's a nice bit of filling, which hopefully means Daz has found Jeremy Aliadier. Yeah, it's worked well. Uh, mm. So he's only 39 still. Christ. In theory, he could still pick up some boots, I'm sure. Um, what's he done? Oh, yeah, he went from Arsenal online to Celtic, West Ham and Wolves. They're the years that we all remember, I think. And then after that, he went to Middlesbrough. Yeah, I remember him there. I don't remember him at Wolves, but I remember him there. Oh, it would have been a good one to do for the... Um, yeah. The, the quiz, the wouldn't they? Yeah. Um, then he went to Lorient in France. And then that was where he had his most successful spell, actually. He scored 25 goals there in three years. Mm. And then he went to a place called M Salal. M Salal. Yeah, which is literally spelled U M M Salal. M Salal. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I'm sure it was lovely. Yeah, over in that place where. Oh, over there, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. The, the place we shall not speak of. Mm. He then stayed over there and went to another club before coming back to Lorient, before ending his career on a high night at Lorient B. <laughs> you never want to finish your career playing for a B team. Maybe that's why he finished his career. Yeah, I think at the time he was only like, what would he have been, like 33? Probably thought, yeah, I can't hold with this now. Yeah. 
what's he doing now? Christ knows. Oh. <laughs> I probably could have a look, but that that can be another that can be another pod. <laughs> Deep dive, Jeremy Elliott. Yeah, <laughs> what happened to him after he retired in 2016? Anyway, where were we? We were talking about the cup, weren't we? Mm. One of the glamorous features about the FA Cup is that it can create fixtures which are strange. It's using that word again. And here we get a list of strange fixtures from the time. Is this story just him listing a na- load of team names? Yeah, I'm yet to... I mean, we haven't even got on to the actual match. How long has this gone? Oh, it's a three-pager. That's probably why then. <laughs> so... 1959, we had Tooting and Mitcham versus Forrest. Strange. Ashington, which I've never even heard of, against Villa in 1924. That would be one of those war teams that just passed away. Washington, yeah, I know. Man United against Walthamstow Avenue. Oh, okay, wow. That does sound like a pub team, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And then... Lovell's Athletic. Not sure where Lovell's Athletics come from, but they played against Wolves in 1946. Lovell's Athletic. I'd like to know a bit more about them at some point. Yeah. Where did they go? Are they still <laughs> kicking around in the Southern League somewhere? They might be. You might come across them with your Western Supermare yeah, travels. Definitely. When a non league team beats first division opposition, it is front page news. <laughs> For instance, Colchester oh, <laughs> United against Huddersfield, Yeovil against Sunderland, Hereford against Newcastle, probably was that famous one you run about, and Sutton United against Coventry City. Hmm. But Wardy has chosen a third round FA Cup tie on the edge of that pack. <laughs> he hasn't even been the most interesting one. Here's the most run-of-the-mill one I could find. <laughs> one perhaps less remembered, but which, in my opinion, captures the essence of the FA Cup and the vagaries of the British weather. Oh, my Christ. He's obsessed. <laughs> Southern League, Worcester City, were hosts to second division promotion favourites, Liverpool, who had only lost two of their last 16 games. Ground conditions for the Saturday of the game were typical cup tie conditions. Worcester cleared the snow from the pitch, which then froze. Uh, so that's where we got our icebergs. Icebergs, yeah. They were almost man-made. The referee postponed the game. Ah. They tried again the following Thursday. Seems a bit inconvenient. Liverpool had to return tickets they couldn't sell and Worcester City sold them. Liverpool couldn't even sell out Worcester City. Yeah, Worcester away on Thursday night. What kind of fans are you? Didn't fancy it. And the crowd was more partisan. The pitch still frozen. The ball erratic in its bounce and not easy to control. In the 10th minute, Liverpool fullback John Molyneux tried a back pass. Goalkeeper Tommy Younger did his best to reach it. Worcester's 18-year-old Tommy Skews skated after it, put the ball in the net and promptly fell over. 
I like that. Skated because it's icebergs, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Nice. You like to think he did like a what's the, what was that PS one game? It, it was like Tony Hawk's, but it was on the snow, and you like jumped off all the ramps and stuff, and did like backflips. Oh yeah, Sean Ryder. Was that his Sean name? Ride, Sean, no, Sean, Sean Ryder was a fellow from Black Grape. He was, he was a musician. It wasn't him. Um, it was, it was, Sean White was a snowboarder. But I'm, th- I'm yeah. thinking, was, it was, I don't think it was named after a person. This is great content, isn't it? Um, Snow Game, PS1. Oh, God, no. Just Googling that. Sled Storm. It wasn't that. That sounds cool, though. That sounds cool. There was one called something like... SX trick. So, no, no, there wasn't. I'm making this up. <laughs> well, it was Sean White snowboarding. I'm sure it, it was, was great. Tony Hawk's was... skate was great. So if it was anything like that, then I'm sure it was fab. It was pretty I... much the same, just snow instead of... Yeah, not yeah. snow. I <laughs> had the BMX version of that, which was called Matt Hoffman. Oh, yeah. and, and that was fab as well. I wasted many an hour on that one. Bring it back. Oh, yeah, we'll do a live stream on Twitch one time. Yeah, of Tony Hawk, Matt Hoffman, and Sean White. Yeah, the big three. <laughs> Worcester scored a second goal in the 82nd minute, which was an unfortunate Liverpool defending error. Harry Knowles crossed hard from the right, and the Liverpool centre-half, Dick White, picked at the centre and the ball flew over the goalkeeper for an own goal. Oh, which... goals are always fun in, in sort of big ties like that. They're, you know, yeah. you want but one. I think it actually causes better scenes from the fans when it's an own goal. Yeah. <laughs> because every all the players go over to celebrate, whereas when one guy scores, you know, they, they go over themselves, don't they? It yeah. kind of feels like everyone scored when it's an own goal. Yeah, and it adds to the sort of rubbing it in to the other team's fans' face. Yeah, yeah. Look how crap you are, you even scored yeah. a goal for us. A minute later, Liverpool pulled a goal back, and Tom would have enjoyed this reference because it was Jeff Twentyman who scored from a penalty. Oh, wow. Bristol Rovers legend, of course. Yeah, yeah. I know, he, I know he's a scouser. Oh, there you go then. It makes sense. The last few minutes seemed like hours to Worcester fans. And I, I've been there when, as a Mac fan, you've been winning a cup set. It's freezing and you're just constantly checking your phone to see what time it is. Obviously, in 1959, they wouldn't have been <clears throat> checking, checking the phones and posting live tweets of the scene. <laughs> just checking the sundial that was nearby and seeing the... Uh... Yeah, yeah. But oh, when it's cold, it's the, you're just dying for it to end, aren't you? Oh, yeah, it's awful. And those last minutes feel so long as well when you're just hanging on to, a, to a, um, a lead. Yeah, but it was worth it because when the final whistle blew, the score at 2-1, they swarmed onto the field to congratulate their heroes, throwing hats in the air, engulfing the blue and white shirted players, lifting up goalkeeper Johnny Kirkwood and captain Roy Paul. And carrying them from the field. That that sort of nice retro football, isn't it? I like that. Yeah. Paul had captain Man City when they won the 1956 FA Cup final. So for an old man who's on his last legs as a player, 
it must be nice to have one last cup moment. You know, I'm sure they probably didn't go much further. I don't know if we'll find out at the final bit of this story, but obviously you know, not. <laughs> probably not. Let's see. <laughs> Let's see. Worcester City manager Bill Thompson, who had made a few appearances for Portsmouth in the Championship winning season of 1948 49, 1949 to 1950, could feel proud of his team's gritty performance. The pitch aside, Worcester had played determinedly and won deservedly. That season, oh, here we are. Oh, well, this could be the ending we're after. That season, Worcester set three record attendances. Oh. The first against Millwall, the last when Sheffield United won 2 0 in the fourth round. Oh. Their cup run would be remembered for the day Worcester City inflicted one of the strangest defeats in Liverpool's history. Yeah, I suppose so. That, that's a good thing. It'll be up on the wall somewhere if you go to Worcester's ground, won't it? I bet, I bet there's no one in Liverpool who remembers it. Never mind thinks it's strange. I, no. 1959, you wonder what kind of team they are, though, don't you? Yeah, maybe at the next Merseyside derby, you should turn up in the Everton end with a flag that just says, remember January 1959, question mark. Yeah, that's it. We'll just wear Worcester City <laughs> tops. And yeah, that, that's why. Those who know will know. <laughs> uh, peak football? Nah. It's nicely described, I suppose. You really got the sense of a early FA Cup round in the sort of middle of winter and all that. Yeah, we'll get it. But, nah. Centre forward slash mortgage advisor required. Nathan Blissett. Mortgage advice. A semi-pro footballer. Or some mortgage advice. Scoring goals and... I don't know, sorting loans. Scoring goals and sorting loans. <laughs> Nathan Blissett, mortgage advice. Yeah, exactly. We are moving on to refuse to lose. I like it. There's a nice little pun in there, which you'll, you'll get to find out about soon. There are several games in which floodlight failure has led to long delays or even abandonments. But perhaps one of the most mysterious was the Watford-Shrewsbury clash close to the end of the 1958-59 to season. You remember that one? Yeah, you know, but for the, for the listeners, let's uh, explain it. <laughs> Shrewsbury Town were challenging for promotion, occupying fourth place in Division 4. But they had little to spare and were closely scrutinising the goal average of fifth place Exeter City. Two days after this Watford game, Shrewsbury would face Exeter at home. So it's a huge game. Mm. They've, got, they've got Watford and then they've, Exeter have got to come to them and see if they can get a result. Watford, a mid-table team, had little to play for except the end of the season. <laughs> Suppose. <laughs> what if they don't... Yeah, if they don't put in a shift, then the season won't end. It's some sort of perverse management technique. Yeah. This season will not end until you put 100% effort in. Yeah, I want 7 out of 10 for all of you. <laughs> At half-time, they were losing 4-1 to Shrewsbury, having oh. conceded two own goals on a pitch which was hard, bumpy and 
of unpredictable bounce. This is another one of those where he makes out that it's only Watford that's suffering with this. Yeah, that happens a lot, doesn't it? Yeah. It's like only half the pitch had it. Halfway through the second half, the floodlights suddenly went off. It transpired later that three fuses had been removed. Mm. Not a case of sabotage, the police believed. More a case of larceny. Oh, okay. In, in what respect? I mean, I did. I'm, I'm not as au fait with the total ins and out of larceny, but I would have said it definitely fitted into sabotage more, especially if it was in a you know that kind of situation where they stood to gain something rather than just stealing fuses for fuses' sake. I guess there was a. Shortage at the time, maybe. Yeah. In case you were wondering, Max, it was an evening game. There was yeah. still there was still some natural light, but not enough. Nevertheless, referee Dennis Howell started the game again. Meanwhile, club officials tried to do what they could with the floodlights. Well, some new fuses. There's, there's got to be fuses lying around somewhere. Um. What? So he he said there was not enough natural light, but the referee started the game anyway. Yeah. Lovely. Yeah. Uh, it'll do, lads. We'll manage. Yeah. Got a long way back up to Carlisle after this. Yeah, I'm not coming back again. <laughs> Club officials tried to do what they could with the floodlights. A bit daunting, given the notice on the doors read, Danger, danger, high-voltage electricity. <clears throat> good. Like the song. Fuse thieves must know what they're doing. They're always known for, for their considerate nature aren't they the fuse thieves i wonder if it was the same people from was it scarborough a few years ago where all the players had the stuff nicked out of the dressing room while the match was going on yeah and um all the players like sort of chased them around town or wherever it was yeah someone had the train ticket nicked that's right yeah the pitch was virtually in darkness but the teams did their best to play on spectators tried to help by lighting newspapers <laughs> Seems a bit dangerous. Jesus. Just a blaze going on in the stand. Massive bonfire going on in the back. Yeah. The, the good old days. Watford's Peter Walker had a shot from 35 yards and nobody thought to warn the Shrewsbury goalkeeper, Russell Crosley, that a ball was on its way. <laughs> it flew past him into the net. For it's... one, I don't, I don't know how anyone saw it. For two, to hit a 35-yard strike in the pitch black and get it in, it's, it's pretty good going. It's, it's Yeah, it's good going. It does sound like it was just dark by this point, doesn't it? Yeah. And, you know, you would just swing a booth at it <clears throat> if, it, you know, you thought you had a chance of tricking the goalie or whatever. Yeah, give it a blast. Yeah. Colin Whitaker scored one at the other end. Shrewsbury led 5-2, but conditions were impossible. <laughs> In case you hadn't realised already. Recognising the risk of injury, referee Howell abandoned the game after 76 minutes. Let it play on in the dark for, like, what, nearly half an hour, or over half an hour, and then just went, nah, I've had enough now. Bored now, lads. Shrewsbury claimed it was floodlight robbery, as they needed those two points and the five goals for their promotion prospects. 
I imagine mm-hmm. Wardy's really proud of that floodlight robbery. Yeah. The Watford club was fined £100 by the Football League for failure to ensure the floodlights were in order. The game had to be played again. The Football League said it should be played in daylight hours. It must be a big sort of problem around there, mustn't it? Well, yeah, we've all been to Watford. We know what, <laughs> what it's like around there. There's lads with their fuses. So now we get the big climax, the rematch. When Shrewsbury returned to Watford in the first week in May, having meantime beaten Exeter, which is what they were obviously after, player-manager Arthur Rowley needed a point to guarantee promotion. Player-manager. Tense. Love it. Oh, yeah, bring them back. It's, it's a good role, isn't it? Yeah. There was a sense of justice about the result. Shrewsbury beat Watford 4-1. They were promoted to Division 3, where they stayed for the next 15 years. Lovely. Uh, justice was served. Yeah, that's nice, I suppose. You don't, you wouldn't want to see them miss out just because of Fuse Thieves. Yeah, especially Watford Fuse Thieves. If, Watford there's, any, thieves. if there's any Fuse Thieves I hate more than Watford ones, I don't even want to meet them. <laughs> Thinking about the logistics of that, I wouldn't even know where a fuse in a floodlight was, let alone how to get in there. Well, as Wardy said, they obviously knew what they were doing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't get why what's not being said is Watford sabotaged the game themselves. Mm. I, don't, I don't see why they would. Because the game got called off, they had to play it again, and they got fined 100 quid. Which is a considerable amount of money, you'd imagine, back then. Mm. The only thing, but I don't know, because it wasn't really a squad game back then. It would be like if they had three or four of their best players injured or something like that, and they were hoping like buying them an extra week might give them a chance to get fit. But as I say, they weren't really a squad game. If you just, you know, you 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 just played. You had eleven players, and they played, and that was it, wasn't it back then? Especially when you're mid-table with nothing to play for, apart from the end of the season. The end of the season. <laughs> Weird. Big football. Uh no. Quite humorous. I enjoyed Fuse Thieves. <laughs> yeah. But it's, de- really... it, it's definitely something, if you were going to write a like animated series, which is set up as like a non-league football team, which is a mm. great idea, actually. I might do that. Maybe we should, yeah. Where each episode, you know, kind of like with Fireman Sam or Noddy or whatever, there's always like a really obscure thing that happens. That's probably one of the episodes. It would be the Watford Fuse Thieves. Yeah, I like that. And the hero, what was his name? Arthur Rowley, the mm. player manager. Bit of a Roy Race character. Yeah. His job, as well as leading the team out, probably scoring the winning goal, he's also got to sort the fuse box out of the, <sighs> the floodlights. He has to run off, leaving his team of 10 men while he gets some more fuses to install. <laughs> Run down to the local sort of hardware shop. In his boots still. Yeah. <laughs> I did see, funny you should mention that, only the other day, um, back when Stuart Pearce was playing for Nottingham Forest and he put an advert in the club's programme for his um, sideline, which was as an electrician, wasn't it? Hey. Yeah, need any electric work done, call Stuart on this number. Fabulous. 
that's pretty cool. Mm. You'd look, you'd love to see that these days, wouldn't you? Yeah, like Raheem well, Sterling as like a carpenter. Well, now I was more thinking. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess that would work. But I'm just thinking if you had like a semi-pro footballer and they've just like put their name up and saying, "Give me a call." I guess it's the equivalent of when we recently found out that Nathan Blissett has his own mortgage advice. Yeah, mortgage advice um, thing. Hmm. I have actually got his uh, number saved on my phone now, just, just in case. Just in case, yeah. Just in case Macclesfield need a new striker. Or some mortgage advice. Oh, yeah, either way. <laughs> Maybe they should put put him a program, um, uh, advert in the program. Yeah, centre forward slash mortgage advisor required. Nathan Blissett, mortgage advice. Scoring goals and... I don't know, sorting loans. Scoring goals and sorting loans. <laughs> Nathan Blissett, mortgage advice. Yeah, love it. That's good. That's good. I like that. Just before we, we go off it completely, um, when I was looking for the name of that snowboarding game, I found a, um, a snow-themed game on the Nintendo Switch called When Ski Lifts Go Wrong. Whoa. Mm. So I don't know what that's about. I mean, well, I, I literally know what it's about, but I don't know how that's going <laughs> to manifest itself in a, in into a game. When ski lifts go wrong, that sounds incredible. Tom's got a Nintendo Switch. Maybe we should bully him into buying it. He's probably already got it. That's probably why he's not here tonight. Just playing that. I'm playing when ski lifts go wrong, lads. <laughs> that can be the next um, AGM, I suppose. <laughs> we'll we'll hide. Oh my god, this looks so much fun. Google it. You've got like six and a half grand by the looks of it to make a ski lift, which I don't know if the aim is to make it go wrong or the aim is to not make it go wrong. And... Yeah, and, and stuff like gets in the way to try and sabotage your lift. Oh, that looks very good. So we end this? <laughs> so we can go and get this game. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, see you in a bit, Mike. <laughs> but before we go, I need to tell you that I used to have a job as a trampoline salesman. It had its ups and downs. Network.